As uh, we prepare to conclude this first day of the new year, 2023, it is true that in some ways it's not that much different than any other day. In one way, like any other day, it is the first day of the rest of your life. Like any other day, once it is gone, you can never get it back again, just like any other day, no matter what you may do to try. But the one thing, or, or one thing that truly does set it apart, however, of vital importance is maybe not so much that it is the first day of the year, but that it is the first day of the week. It is the, it is the Lord's Day. It is the first Lord's Day of this year. It's the one day of the week when the Lord declared and decreed that we are to come together in spirit and truth worship and celebration, and that makes today special. It's a day that he has set aside to celebrate what he has done for us in his only begotten son, Acts 20 and verse 7. And as I stopped and thought about a lot of the things that we have been discussing in here as of late, and I recalled and sought to count a, a few of my blessings personally, it struck me that there are many things in the Bible that are new things. New things in the sense of being things that have been given to us by God and that we ought to thank God for every day because like his mercies, they should be new to us or fresh to us every morning. And when I say new, obviously they've been around 2,000 years. I mean things in the scriptures that are referred to as new, but they had ought to be new to us in the fact that our appreciation for them, like those things, should never wear out, should never grow old, should never be something that's taken for granted, but something that should be just as fresh and new, if you will, and exciting to us every morning as they were the very first morning that we ever experienced them. And so tonight, as we get ready to just conclude this day, I wanted to give us a list of three things that are labeled as new in the scriptures that we should seek to remember and be thankful for each new day of the year, even though some of them have been around 2,000 years. The first one is how grateful I am to be a New Testament Christian. I'm so grateful each morning to be, or should be grateful each morning to be a New Testament Christian, which is actually the only kind of Christian as far as God is concerned. It's one who is set apart both by and in their obedience to the teachings of, guess what, the New Testament. And so, a New Testament Christian, I want us to understand some of these new things. What is a New Testament Christian? Well, a New Testament Christian is a Christian that has been saved the way the New Testament says that one is saved and does not accept any other way of salvation because there is no other way of salvation other than what the New Testament says, John 14 and verse 15. A New Testament Christian is a Christian that is part of the one New Testament church that we see in that same New Testament. 
It's the New Testament church that the apostles worked and worshipped and preached and served in. Romans 16 and verse 16. I'm grateful to be a New Testament Christian. You see, a New Testament Christian is also one who lives and loves and practices that one New Testament faith, which we see both delivered and practiced in the New Testament, Jude verse 3. A New Testament Christian is one who is simply a Christian. Nothing else. Nothing but a faithful disciple and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in every way, including in name, in loyalty, in love, and in obedience. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 2, Acts 4 and verse 12, and Acts 11 and verse 26. Simply a Christian. We see all of these truths in a very familiar passage reflected back at us in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'd please open there. In Ephesians chapter 4, one that probably many of us can quote, but many of the things I've just said can be seen reflected back at us here. In, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 it says, there's one body. We know from his earlier writings in chapter 1 and verse 22 and 3 that the body is the church. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I'm so thankful for that because I remember what it was like to be religious or to be associated with those in religion and think I was saved, but wasn't until I came in contact with all of these things that I've talked about and became a New Testament Christian in obedience to New Testament teaching. I'm grateful, especially as we talk in our Sunday morning class about so many good and well-intentioned people that are members of so many different man-made and man-named groups and I am just grateful to be a New Testament Christian and nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. The second of the new things which, again new, which we should seek to remember and be grateful for each and every new morning is the new covenant. The new covenant. We've talked before as recently as last Sunday evening from the book of Galatians that the old covenant couldn't save anybody. In Galatians chapter 2 beginning at verse 15 it says, Paul there in Galatians 2, if you want to turn there and, and see for yourself that the old covenant or the old law could save no one, no matter what they tried to do, it wasn't sufficient to do that. Paul confronted Peter in one of the churches in the Galatian region. And Paul admitted in Galatians 2, 15 and 16, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus 
that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Paul is talking to Peter and he says, look, even we who, who believed in the old law, even we, if, if you will, who are Jews by nature and, and not Gentiles, we understand that, that the old law that we, are, we were under couldn't save us. We understand that we can only be saved by faith in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say in Galatians 3, 10 and 11, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You see, under the old law, in order to be perfect, you had to keep them all. You couldn't break one. James would tell us, if you break one, you've broken the law. And it was a list that was impossible for everybody to keep perfectly. Paul goes on to say there in Galatians 3, 10 and 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. You see, the just will live by faith in Christ because none of us can be perfect. I, I'm so grateful to be under the new covenant that can save, not living under the old law that can't. Paul reiterates this and reinforces it in several different places. Romans 3 is one of them, but, but perhaps nowhere is it made any more beautifully clear than in Hebrews chapter 10. Please turn there with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. And it will explain here how much better, as it does throughout the book of Hebrews, we have it with this, with this new covenant and how, how blessed we are to be under the new covenant and not the old law. He starts out in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. He says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of these things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. It just couldn't do it because, as he's going to go on to say, if these sacrifices could make a person perfect, then why they have to keep giving them? That's my paraphrase, but let's read exactly what it says. He says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Reminded the people they were sinners. He goes on to say, verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's not possible living under that old covenant to, to have the sins taken away by those animal sacrifices. He goes on to say, therefore when he, that is Christ, verse 5, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Verse 8, Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The book of Hebrews is a, is a beautiful contrast between the old law and, and the new law and the, the old covenant, if you will, and, and the new covenant. He's just telling them how much more blessed they are because under the new covenant, we have Christ that takes care of our sins, not like the blood of bulls and goats that are just a reminder every year that, that we can't be all we ought to be. But we have the blood of Christ 
that covers our sins and makes us in the eyes of God all we can be, and that is perfect to stand before Him. Justified, sinless. I'm so grateful for the new covenant. By His blood sacrifice, we have been set apart, saved, separated from our sins once and for all. You know, the Lord, the night that He was crucified, told us about this Himself the night before he was crucified. Jesus told us that night that his blood of the new covenant would do that. It would save us or take away our sins for anybody who would take advantage of it. In, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 through 29, it speaks of Jesus and says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood, here it comes, of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus said my blood is shed to take care of those sins, to forgive or remit those sins. And it's interesting here, just as a side note, Jesus himself said that his blood was shed for the remission of sins. That is the same exact terminology used by Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when he opened up the church and said that we needed to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. In the original language, it is, it's pretty much exactly the same. That's what it's for. The day that we decide to repent and be baptized into Christ, we come in contact with that blood in the eyes of God and we are forgiven, having our sins forgiven. Because of the shedding of Jesus' blood to institute that new covenant, he said, this cup is the new covenant to my blood. It is because of that shedding to institute the new covenant that Hebrews 9 and verse 15 says, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. It is because of the new covenant. It is because of that blood. It is because of the remission of sins that you and I have an eternal inheritance. Aren't you grateful for the new covenant? It is that new covenant that we celebrate, just as we did this morning, just as those who haven't had a chance to partake of it will be able to do here at the end of services. But it is each first day of the week when we partake, as we gather around the table, and we celebrate the Lord's death. That is our path to where the eternal inheritance lies for us. It's through that blood. Not only that, but there in, in Matthew 26, verses 27 through 29, I just want to point out, too, another blessing of that new covenant in his blood. Verse 29, Jesus said, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Consider the beauty of that statement by Jesus. We sing songs sometimes about how he meets us here and how Jesus is, is with us as we drink of the fruit of the vine, as we drink it new in his Father's kingdom, church. 
What would it have been like? I, I don't know, but I want you to think. What would it have been like to have been part of that supper that night? If you had lived in that day, what would it have been like? I don't know. But let me ask you this. If Jesus and his disciples had somehow invited you to be a part of that, would you say, nah, if you knew what it meant? You know, every Lord's Day, we are invited to gather around this table. We are invited to the feast, as it were. We are invited to partake of the blood of the new covenant, and it, speaking figuratively, of course, and to, and to do this in remembrance of him. What an invitation. What an invitation to be a part of that feast even 2,000 years after he did it with his disciples. I wonder if we understand the significance if I had the opportunity to be at that table and knew what it meant. I don't believe I personally would have turned it down if I knew what it meant, as they didn't really. But I do know what it means today, and so I can't pass up that invitation and just dismiss it arbitrarily. I need to be here. I, I need to join around that table celebrate that new covenant. Some people might say, well, wait a minute, if the old covenant didn't make anyone perfect, then what was its purpose? I mean, if God knew it couldn't make anybody perfect, and we've read that in Galatians, what was the, what was the purpose? The whole purpose of the Old Testament is also, or the Old Covenant, is also told us in Galatians chapter 3. If we were to read down verse, through verses 21 through 29 in Galatians 3, what we would find there is that the old law was simply to point out to us how much we needed Jesus. It was to point out to us that, that no, we couldn't be perfect through it, and it was just simply a tutor or a schoolmaster, depending on your translation. It was simply a tool that God used to bring us to understand that we needed Jesus, that we needed his blood. And then it goes on, of course, to say that all of us our sons and daughters of God who by faith have been baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. And that kind of brings us to our third and final new thing that I'd like for us to think about tonight. Another new thing according to the scriptures that we'd ought to be truly grateful for each and every morning. And that is what happens when we become a New Testament Christian by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, by coming in contact with that shed blood of the new covenant. And that is that when we do that, we become a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. It is at that point that we become a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord, being added to the Lord's one New Testament church, Acts 2 and verse 47, as we rise to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 7, 6. A new creation. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 5 at what it says there about this new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning at verse 14 this is this is one of those beautiful blessings of newness 
the Bible refers to for us. This should be as fresh and exciting for us every day as it was the first day that we rose up to become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's a, it's a new life of living for him instead of ourselves. He goes on to say, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Here it comes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When a person is baptized into Christ, and they are therefore now in Christ, they are a new creation as they rise up out of that water. Old things have gone. New things have come. But one of the things that is involved with that is, yes, we rise to walk in newness of life out of the baptistry. That is correct. We're in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. But the thing is that we must then live that new life. We're a new creation, but we need to live that new life directly for and in submission to Jesus instead of living for ourselves. And here's the thing. I know sometimes in the church we, we preach baptism and not a whole lot else at times. But once a person's baptized, as we've all said, there's, there's more to it than that. Okay? This new life as a new creation involves a constant effort on our part to put and keep and grow and groom that new man daily. We, it's, it, this, this, we're a new creation, but we must perpetuate the newness. We must continue to become a new person. And that takes time and it's a process. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, it talks about this process. It's talking to people that have already risen from the waters of Christian baptism and it says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. He said you can't live that way anymore. You've got to live this new life. He goes on to say, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, here it comes, that you put off. This is a continual putting off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You cannot be renewed in the spirit of your mind by coming to church twice a year. You can, but that's not the process. You can to some degree, but that's not the process. This is a constant renewal that we put on that new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It takes time to continue that process of renewal and becoming that new person. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. 
Now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Here it comes. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. It's, it's a new life. It's a new way of doing things. Aren't you glad that when a person becomes a new creation in Christ, that they don't live the same blind, lost, sinful, and self-serving, alienated-from-God life that they used to? Now, for some of you who grew up in the church, maybe it wasn't so out of step with what the Lord wants. But for some of us who did not grow up in the church, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm grateful that I'm not the person I used to be. Before becoming a New Testament Christian in Christ, the Bible speaks to this sort of thing in Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Paul wrote, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior and having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, used to live like this. This, this awful way that we were living. These things kind of controlled us, but, but now when we come to understand the love that God has for us and we submit to that love and we, we become a New, Testament, a New Testament Christian and a, a new creation in Christ and we rise up to walk differently, we live a, a whole different way, a much more a beautiful way and we are being renewed and we are to help that renewal process through our study and the things that we read earlier. Those are just some of the things that the Bible labels as new. New things that we need to be reminded of on occasion because let's face it, when you have something for a year or 10 years or 20 years or 30 or 40 or 50 years, there is the tendency at times that it can be taken for granted, overlooked, forgotten. It can become old instead of new. But these are some new and beautiful things that God does for us and that we need to appreciate Because like I said this morning, 
The changing of the year doesn't change a lot of the burdens and heartaches and crosses that, that many of us are bearing. The overwhelming parts of life, nor is it going to be able, just that flipping of the calendar, to change the hardships that will inevitably come in the new year. But in light of that, I want to conclude tonight with a look at some of the, at a text that was written to some of the most burdened, overwhelmed, and life-threatened Christians to have ever lived, and what God gave them to empower them to power through it all, in reference to the word new. Revelation chapter 21, would you turn there with me please? John, on the Isle of Patmos, writing to Christians who were under fire from the Roman government, he himself being a prisoner on the island of Patmos because of the word of God, as he tells us in chapter 1. Christians were being persecuted. We know they were being burned at the stake and abused in all kinds of ways. And... God's got a message to send them through the Apostle John and what they need to focus on like we were talking this morning to get us through those those struggles but look at all of the newness here keep in mind it is a vision it's not talking about a literal new earth as some would say today it's talking about what he saw in his vision that has to do with this entirely new environment if you will chapter 21 in verse 1 now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea then I John saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The message that would carry those Christians through, just like we talked about this morning, despite the struggles, was to understand God had something new and beautiful and powerful prepared for them, summed up in his very presence in their lives. And Jesus, or the one who sat on the throne in verse 5 said, I make all things new. Right, for these words are true and faithful. In other words, you can trust them. God has this beautiful new place for you. And it's unlike any of the struggles that you're going through on earth because those struggles won't be there. So keep your focus on heaven as we talked about this morning and not on all the other stuff. 
Back to Galatians 3, 26 and 7 as we close. This all begins when one becomes a New Testament Christian, a, a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord, when they are baptized into Christ and rise to walk in newness of life under the new covenant, a member of the Lord's New Testament church, and a faithful follower of that New Testament faith or that faith we see in the New Testament. This process of the beauty of all of these new and wonderful things that God wants for every sinner to experience begins when they come to God through, according to Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. When they come to the general assembly in church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 12, 23 and 4. There's absolutely nothing on this planet that can make your new year any better or any happier than becoming a New Testament Christian, a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you've never done that, then the opportunity is yours tonight to do that. I will just kind of throw out a shout here that after this lesson is up and running, it might be a lesson to share with maybe some of those you know that, that are not under the new covenant, not under his blood. They have never been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins to contact that blood and become a new creation. If that is your need tonight, we stand ready to assist you with that. Or if you're somebody who's already done that and you've kind of drifted back into oldness of life, if you will, and you just want to once again have prayers of the church that this new life and these new blessings and, and, and everything that we've talked about tonight that it entails that you will realize on a, on a deeper basis. We can pray for you to have better study habits or whatever we need to do to help you become newer or renewed this evening as we stand and sing.